Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Springbrook. I'm so excited you're all here on this 4th of July weekend. I hope you all get to have a nice, long time off this week, get a few extra days in. I love when the holidays are on Tuesdays, because then no one's going to work on Monday. So it's, it's a good thing. So, so I hope you've all had a good week. Um, we had our barbecue last week. With, some, with the help of some students, we cooked up 140 pounds of pork. And we have almost no leftovers. Yeah, I'm really sick of pork right now. Um, but, but it was an awesome time. Um, I also, this week, Jess cut my hair. Um, and I think she did a great job. If you're out there and you're like, eh, it's Tom's fault on the lighting. So I thought that'd be funnier. But I'll, <laughs> I'll move that. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to jump into the book of Ruth. Uh, Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how good you are and how merciful you are. And we thank you for your loving loyalty, that no matter where we are, we can turn back to you and you will accept us. I pray today as we look at Ruth, that we would just be reminded of this truth about who you are and about how your unchanging and loyal love extends for all time. And we thank you that we can be a part of it. I pray that your spirit would speak through me and that your spirit would be speaking to all of us through this message. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you guys are people who watch the news, but if you watch the news at all this week, there was uh, the Ten Commandments were put up at a courthouse in Arkansas. And they were put up on a Wednesday, and on Wednesday night this happened. And, and it's, yeah, it's sad. Um, I, no matter how you feel about the separation of church and state, this is not a great outcome. And on, on top of that, this was, a man did this, um, and he did a Facebook live stream as he drove into it. I, they're not really sure what his motives are, um, but, but he knocked it over immediately. And it was a sad moment. Um, but I, I've been reflecting a lot on this. On, on In the first place, why would people not want the Ten Commandments put up? Because for the most part, they're just good moral laws that all people should live by. We don't want murder. We don't want stealing. We don't want adultery. If we don't want these things, why wouldn't we want this ancient reminder and this part of our human history that this is a good thing to have? And, and the only answer that I can really come up with is the fact that so many people view the God of the Old Testament as hateful or bigoted. They, they think about the God of the Old Testament. He was a bored creator who wanted people to tell what to do. Or they think of him as petty or a bully. They think of him as someone that just is not this loving God. I, I know many Christians even who say when, when the New Testament starts, then we see loving God. But not until he came as Jesus did he, did he really show himself as a loving God. And, and so when I see this, I see a world that doesn't understand the Old or the New Testament God because that God and these laws are, are good for all time. And the God of the Old Testament is not hateful. He's not angry. He's not some wicked God who just has his own agenda. He is the creator who made a very good creation. And the Ten Commandments in the whole book of the Old Testament is the, all of the stories and all of what God is revealing about himself in the Old Testament is a merciful God, is a loving God, is a God who created us and when we fell away from him and when we rebelled and chose not him, he offered us ways back. And because of his loving loyalty and because of his mercy, we have a way to him today. 
And, and that's, that's something that's easy to find in the New Testament with Jesus, but it's also easy to find in the Old Testament. And as we finish up the story of Ruth, I hope today that I can show you what our lovingly loyal God looks like, what our merciful God looks like. And so we're going to jump in today to the story of Ruth. We're in Ruth chapter 4. And to start our story, we need to jump back a little bit to where Dan was last week. So in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi comes up with a plan for Ruth to let Boaz know her intention if she'd like Boaz to redeem her and for them to get married. And Naomi comes up with this plan where Boaz, or where Ruth goes to Boaz in the night and while Boaz is sleeping, she lays at his feet and uncovers his feet. It's kind of weird. But, um, and then he wakes up and then Boaz says to her, or she says to Boaz, you should redeem me. And he says, I, I will redeem you, but there's a closer redeemer. And so Boaz says, go home and, and go back to Naomi and I'll take care of this matter. And he sends her back to Naomi with this great gift of food, which is what he's showing he's sustaining both her and her mother-in-law in that moment. And then Ruth and Naomi get back together, and as they're talking, Naomi says, he won't let this matter rest even a day. And the very next thing we see, the start of chapter 4, um, Boaz, now, now this is the very next thing that happens. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Now, it's funny, this word friend, when he says friend, um, it's, it's a very hard word to translate. Um, and I only bring this up because in the book of Ruth, Dan the first week talked about how each name has a, a big meaning. Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, even her husband Elimelech, Malon, Chilion, all of their names mean something. And we come to this redeemer, and he's called friend. And the word friend there is actually generic man. It's, it's the least descriptive name you could possibly have. There's one translation that says, Turn aside, John Doe. Sit down here. It's the, the idea here is that in, in a story where names matter a whole lot, this Redeemer doesn't. And the reason for that is because we're focused on Boaz right now. And the author wants to make sure we're really focused on Boaz. So after the Redeemer sits down, Boaz takes ten men of the elders of the city and says, sit down here. So they also sat down. Now, in, in our modern culture, when we hear this, I was thinking about if I were to call on the elders of our church at like 7 a.m. and say, hey, I need you guys outside the church in like 20 minutes. We've got to solve something today. They'd probably all be like, hey, we have jobs. We have lives. What are you doing, Matt? And they'd probably be like, did you talk to Dan about this? I don't know. They'd probably be kind of weirded out um, because in our culture, gathering 11 people to do something just on a whim like Boaz is doing is not very common. But in their culture, this, this thing that's about to happen, this kinsman redemption where he's going to redeem Ruth as his wife, this would have been common. It wouldn't have happened a whole lot, but when it did happen, the people wouldn't have been like, what obscure law are you talking about? They would have been like, oh, a kinsman redeemer, that's going to happen. This was a normal day-to-day thing. And I need to stress this because the book of Ruth, for the most part, is a mundane story of the lives of three people at a barley harvest. It's not some story of the battles of Israel or of the Lord defending Israel from the armies of elsewhere. It's a moment at a barley harvest with three people. There's no kings. There's no judges. And in this moment, I, I just have to stress this because we want to turn this into this is like a courtroom or a declaration of love or something. But this is just the people would be like, oh, someone's here to redeem a kinsman. Like, okay, cool. 
And so that's what's happening here. So Boaz gets the, the Redeemer and the ten elders of the city. And then he says to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now that's kind of weird. Um, in the last chapter, the last thing we hear is Boaz says to Ruth, um, I will redeem you if he won't redeem you. And they never talk about land. Naomi never talks about land. But what's happening here is for in their culture, what would happen is the transfer of the land and the woman, the, the kinsman redeemer, it would all happen at the same time. And so when Boaz brings up the land, he's bringing up a part of the process of bringing her over. And I also, I think Boaz here is showing extreme integrity Because when he brings up the land, if there's no woman involved here, when Boaz brings up the land, what Boaz would be doing is saying, hey, there's profit to be had here. If the the land is the only thing involved, of course the kinsman redeemer is going to say, I'll take it, because that just means his own inheritance is bigger. And so Boaz starts by mentioning the land, and he says, if you'll buy it, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. So let's do this all above above reproach with the law. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. If not, let me know and I will. And, and the Redeemer says, I will redeem it. So everything so far is above the board. It's, yeah, this is a simple process. And then Boaz says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. So he was all ready for the land, but when he hears that he'd have to marry a Moabite, his response is, you know what, I'm good. You can do it if you want it. And what's, what's happening here, we, we've talked a little bit about the Moabite culture in the last month and how the Israelites felt about them. Um, but if, if the Redeemer marries, what he's thinking is, then I'm married to a Moabite. And in the book of Deuteron- Deuteronomy, it says... No Ammonite or Moabite may ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Uh, The assembly of the Lord means a a citizen of Israel, most likely. And so what's happening here is when this guy hears you'd have to marry an Ammonite or a Moabite, he says, you know what, I really don't want to do that because I don't want to endanger my inheritance. I don't want to be cast out of the assembly of the Lord. And so so the Redeemer says, no, thank you. And the reason that the Moabites were put this way in Deuteronomy is because the Ammonites and Moabites were the people groups who had rejected helping Israel when they had been passing through the wilderness in the book of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. And in the process of that, um, they had actually hired, there's the story of Balaam and his donkey, um, and they had actually been the ones who hired Balaam to go put a curse on the Israelites. And so the Moabites were a hated people by the Israelites. And so when this guy hears Mary a Moabite, he says, I'm not going to touch it. I don't want it attached to my family at all. You can do it if you want. I don't want it. And you might be wondering right now, so why does Boaz want it? And what's interesting here is that I believe that in the story of Ruth, Boaz is always portrayed as a man who deeply understands God's word and is deeply faithful to it. He is loyal to the commands of God. And in that loyal, loyalty, when he sees Ruth, he understands that she's a Moabite, but there's a reality here that, that Ruth, when Naomi and her husband and her sons went to Moab, in the starting point of this story, they did something very wicked. Because why did they go to Moab? They went there because they heard that there was food there and there was a famine in the land of Israel. And what that means culturally in a theocentric culture is that they would hear that and they would say, if we go there, their gods will take care of us. 
When Naomi and her husband and her sons went to Moab, they were saying the gods of the Moabites are better than the God of Israel. That's a very wicked thing. And when they intermarried with the Moabites, that would have been seen as extremely wicked. But when Ruth returned, everything we see about Ruth is someone who is lovingly loyal and faithful to Naomi. When she comes, Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. When Ruth comes into the people, she acts as an Israelite widow. She acts faithfully to the commands of the Torah as she knows them. And everything she does, she does to love Naomi. And so in this moment, when Boaz is saying, I'm, or when Boaz is interested in marriage to her, you might start with, but why would he marry a Moabite? But there's a reality here of what's happened is already wicked. And Boaz, who has a deep understanding of God and the principles of his law, says, we do not need to repay wicked with wicked in this moment. We can turn good from this moment. Even if her coming in was wicked in the first place, she's proven herself faithful. Earlier it says the people see her as a woman of worth in the society and the town. And if she is this worthy woman, then how wicked would it be for us to not love a widow and a foreigner in our midst who was brought in by our people? And so even though wickedness started this, Boaz has a deep understanding of what God really desires. And it's not to cast out, but it's to bring in those who are faithful and lovingly loyal. And and so there's a weird part here. I just need to say that. Um, I'm wearing sandals today for this, so I normally would not wear sandals and preach. But um, in in Israel in that time, the custom concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other and this was the manner of attesting in israel so what happens here the redeemer said to boaz buy it for yourself and then the redeemer takes off his sandal and pretend like so i'm the redeemer and then i'm gonna now now i'm gonna be boaz all right cool um so so boaz takes the sandal from the redeemer And then he says to the elders and the people, and I like to think he's holding the sandal as he says it. Um, Why he's holding a sandal, I do need to make a quick note. We're not really sure. It was just they didn't have ink. They didn't have paper. Um, For some reason, this is how they did it. There was another tradition that's actually in the book of Leviticus where if the kinsmen wouldn't redeem and were wicked, then um, the woman would accuse them in front of the elders of the people, take off their sandal and spit in it, and then give it to them. And so there's a lot of sandal things. Um, It's just kind of weird. But I just wanted to make sure I explain, because otherwise you're going to be sitting out there like, why is he holding a sandal? But so Boaz says to the elders and people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz, in this moment, the night before, Boaz had promised Ruth that he would take care of this the next day. He had said there's a closer redeemer. But the other redeemer clearly doesn't know that Naomi's doing this, and so maybe Boaz could have just done what he wanted there but Boaz acts above reproach in this moment he acts with integrity and because of that he eventually redeems her through the proper channels and and so that's the moment of the story we're at and then the people respond and and the people who are at the gate and the elders say 
We are witnesses. Make the Lord, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob that had the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's a big idea here. May, may she be like those women. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, mentioning Tamar and Judah is really interesting. Um, if you have time, read Genesis 38 and 39 on your own if you want to reference that. Um, but the, the long story short is that Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah, and Judah is a really wicked man who eventually repents and becomes the line of Judah that Jesus and David and many of the kings of Israel come from. But, but in this moment, um, they're reminding that the, the echo here is they're trying to say Tamar bore Perez through a really awkward set of circumstances, a really weird story. But even though that happened, good came of it. And so they're saying, even though this story is a little unusual, even though bringing in a Moabite is a little outside the normal expectations we would have in our society, we pray that it would be the same as what happened when Tamar bore Perez. So the people are drawing on the history here and saying, may this relationship be as good as those. And, and Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Really interesting here. In, in, in a story that's only four chapters and is mostly dialogue, the only time we see a direct action of the Lord is this moment. The Lord gave her conception. And so if you wonder whether what Boaz is doing is righteous or not, if an ancient Israelite read this, that would be the moment they'd say, okay, the Lord has blessed this. So even if there's questions about the integrity or anything, the Lord, in his one action in this story that's direct, shows the blessing in this moment. And we're going to stop here for a moment, because here we kind of conclude the story of Boaz and Ruth, and then we're going to focus a lot on Naomi. But before we do, I want to draw your attention to a couple things. The first is Boaz. Boaz is a man of loving loyalty and extreme faithfulness. He is faithful to the word of God. When he first sees Ruth in Ruth chapter 2, when he first sees her, he asks, who is this? And he's actually, um, in their culture, in the barley fields, there would have been lots of prostitutes around the time of the harvest. And when, when Boaz sees a random Moabite woman, his first thought is, is that a prostitute? If that's a prostitute, we've got to get her out of here. That's, that's Boaz's first thought in this moment. And that's the language in the Hebrew is very clear. And his guy responds, no, 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 that's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And then when Boaz hears that this is not someone of questionable character, but this is instead a woman who shows loving loyalty to her mother-in-law, even though she's a Moabite, he begins blessing her with food. Then when he finds out that she wants him to redeem her, she appears to him at night. Really interesting when the, the scheme that Naomi has for Ruth to go meet with Boaz at night, that's what the prostitutes did in that day. That Naomi's idea for what Ruth should do would have been very, very similar to what the prostitutes were doing in that day. And when she appears before Boaz, Boaz probably could have, she's a Moabite woman, he probably could have done things with her if he wanted but instead Boaz is a man of integrity even when no one's around in that moment and the response of Boaz is I need to make sure this is okay I need to make sure we're above integrity I need to make sure the other redeemer has a chance at this first because that is the law and the law is good 
And so in Boaz, we see someone who is lovingly loyal and faithful to the Lord. He is a man with almost spotless integrity. And, and that is so important for us to note because the Lord uses him in mighty ways in this story because he is a man of uprightness and integrity. And then in Ruth, Ruth is a Moabite widow. And, and a Moabite widow who says, I'm going to go into the land of Israel that's not a great place to be in that time. Um, in the days when judges ruled, there, there would not have been much good for her in returning. But because of her loving loyalty for Naomi, she clings to her. She says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. In Ruth, we see someone who is lovingly loyal to Naomi. And we see through her faithfulness, she enters into Israel. When she enters into Israel, she does not go looking for a husband. She does not do anything that maybe she would have wanted to do, but instead she follows the customs of the people. And those customs would have been to go take care of your wife or take care of your mother-in-law and wait for a redeemer. And so that's what she does. And so in her, we see someone from outside the community who joins, who is faithful when she joins and is lovingly loyal. And then we get to Naomi. But before we talk about Naomi, we need to do some Old Testament survey because we need to look at the big picture of how Ruth fits into the Old Testament. And by the time we're done, I promise you, you're going to say, man, this story is about Naomi and it's awesome. I, I promise you that because whenever I study this book, I was so excited I got to do this sermon because the end of the book of Ruth is this wonderful story of how the God who cares about kings and nations and prophets and, and the God who works on the national level works at a barley harvest in the life of an elderly widow who had nothing to offer her community on her own. That's the God who's revealing himself in this story. So Ruth in the big picture, Genesis through Deuteronomy are the narrative of Israel's origins. They still tell the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They tell the story of Moses. And, and they tell the, the big picture of how Israel's foundations began. Joshua is the narrative of Israel taking the land led by Joshua. And then it goes into Judges, the narrative of er, Israel's early leaders when they were in the land and when the people did as they wanted before they had kings. And then the book of Ruth is a narrative of three people in Israel. It's a little different. The, the rest are all about the leaders and the kings and those in charge. And in fact, right after the book of Samuel, it's the narrative of Israel's first kings. And kings is the narrative of all the kings of Israel outside of Saul and David. But the book of Ruth stands out here, and there's a reason for it. Um, the book of Ruth in our English Bibles is placed in this point. Um, for the simple reason that it starts with in the days when judges ruled and it ends with a, um, with a genealogy. But the book of Ruth in a Hebrew Bible would not be here. We put it there because chronologically it fits, but in a Hebrew Bible, Ruth comes much later. In fact, Ruth was probably written uh, either around the time of Samuel and Kings or after them. Ruth is a narrative that doesn't fit with Genesis through Kings, which are focused on the leadership and those in charge of the nation. And, and I, I bring this up because when we look at Ruth, Ruth is, if, if all of these are A, B, C, D, Ruth is not D in that story. Ruth is somewhere completely different. It's a different focus. And I believe God put the book of Ruth in the Bible because he wanted to reveal something very different than the kings and the nations who follow after God. I believe he had a very different purpose in revealing himself to us. And the, the thing that ties Ruth to all of these is a promise in the Old Testament that is true whether a king, a widow, or whoever. In the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is talking about the, the, 
uh, going into the land with the people, he says, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of your God, so as to provoke him to anger, you will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. This was true for the kings. We were in the book of Daniel last week or last month. And when we talked about Daniel, the book of Daniel takes place in an exile because of how wicked the people of Israel became. But this is also true in the story of Ruth, where it's true of the kings and the leaders of the nation. In the story of Ruth, you have Naomi and her husband and her two sons that leave to go to the land of Moab because they think the Moabite gods will take better care of us. And in the same way that the the kings and the nation eventually goes into exile for it, Naomi and her husband and her sons, her sons and her husband wind up destroyed, perished because of the wickedness before Naomi returns. And it's important that, that in the big picture, uh, the, the end of this, Moses goes on to say, when you are in tribulation, when you experience these trials, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. If it wasn't for the book of Ruth, when we read this, we would think mostly about um, we would think about kings, we would think about prophets, we would think about nations. But, but the, the theme of you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, you will return, is a term that the book of Ruth uses 12 times in chapter 1. Naomi goes to Moab and she does wickedness. Her husband and her sons go to Moab and they go there to be taken care of by foreign gods. They go there and do this wickedness. But at the start of the turn where Naomi realizes I need to return, it's, it's a repentance. It's a, I need to return to the God of Israel. I need to return to the Lord. And when she starts to return, return shows up over and over. Return, turn, return, turn. It shows up over and over. And in this story, we see not a nation, but we see a widow and an old widow and a widow who spent 10 years among the Moabites. And we see her restored. In, in Ruth, we see God revealing himself in the day-to-day life of a woman who returns Ruth is primarily the story of Naomi's return and restoration. And I I bring all this up before we read the next verses in Ruth chapter 4, because otherwise we'll miss a really cool moment. Then, So after, after Ruth has the baby, the women say to Naomi, these are the women who when Ruth first entered the city, these women said, is this Naomi who has returned? And Naomi responds, call me bitter. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because when I left... I was full. And now I'm returning empty. Naomi's returning, but she's returning with kind of a grudge on her shoulder. She is frustrated by what the hand that the Lord has dealt her. And in her actions, in Naomi's actions, we don't see someone who follows the law in an amazing and upright way. When she sends Ruth off to Boaz uh, to try and get him to redeem her, she's basically like, we'll put him in a compromising situation. He might sleep with you and then he'll be forced to marry you. That's kind of what Naomi's plan is. And when I say kind of, I mean that's what her plan is. And so, so Naomi is very rough around the edges, but she's returned. And in her return, the Lord is going to use Boaz and use Ruth in order to bless her and, and in order to fill her back up. She left full and she's returned empty. 
When she was away from the Lord, she was emptied, and now she's finally turning back. And, and in Ruth 4, 14 and 15, the women say to her, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. That word, restorer, in the Hebrew is return. It sounds weird to say a returner of life. But there's an echo here. The author doesn't want you to miss a, a Jewish audience would hear this in in Hebrew and they would go, returner, returner. They would hear that same language here because what's happening here is that Naomi left and when she returns, when she turns back to the Lord, the Lord is a lovingly loyal and merciful God. And he's not going to reject her. And even though she's rough around the edges, even though she makes very questionable decisions, even in this story, what Naomi experiences here is she has her, she is the Lord makes for her a restorer of life and a nourisher for your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi begins this story empty. And because she returns to the Lord, she is made full. Because she returns to the land, returns to him, turns towards him, she is made full. In this story, you see in these three characters, you, you see how the Lord works in each of them to bring about restoration and to bring about glory for his name. God shows how merciful he is and how lovingly loyal he is. Even to a widow, an elderly widow, a a widow who is among the Moabites for 10 years. She is as marginalized as you could be. She is well past childbearing years. We look at her and say, like a person in that culture would have said, that's a mouth to feed and that's about it. But the Lord looks at her and says, because she has returned to me, I will fill her. She will not be left empty. That's the merciful God of the Old and the New Testament. He is an unchanging God. And He is a loving God. And it's so exciting when you look at the book of Ruth to see this. And it goes on, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And the final thing that happens is you see a genealogy that takes from Perez, the son of Judah, down to David. And, and I think what the author is trying to show here is, even though this story starts out with a Moabite widow and an elderly widow, even though that's the starting point of this story, that this has an impact on Israel in that this is the greatest king that Israel has before Jesus. And, and he comes about through this barley harvest. It's this little event, but because of the faithfulness of Boaz, because of the loving loyalty of Ruth, and because of Naomi's willingness to repent and return, Israel as a whole is blessed. The book of Ruth for us today should look at how this has happened into the future, how this story spreads out, how it echoes into eternity, because without this, imagine Israel without David. You can't really, um, so don't Sorry, I'm going to take that back. But um, the, David was the, the man after God's own heart. We saw in him good and bad, but we saw in him a man after God's own heart. He wrote most of the Psalms. This amazing man came about because of the faithfulness of Boaz, the loving loyalty of Ruth, and the, the willingness to return and repent of Naomi. So if you're out here today, you're, you're probably one of these three characters. Uh, in some way, shape, or form. Hopefully you can identify with one of them. For some of you, you hear this in your Boaz. 
And, and I, I hope we have a lot of Boazes out there. We need more of them. But, but Boaz was a man who was faithful. When, when he saw a woman that he wasn't sure about, he didn't just throw her out. When he heard she was a Moabite, he didn't just throw her out. Instead, he diligently sought to learn what was happening. And when he did, he acted faithfully to the law, which would tell him, love the foreigner, love the widow. In Boaz, we see a man that over and over is faithful to the law and is faithful to his promises. He is a man of integrity. We need more men of integrity in the church and more women of integrity in the church. We need more Boazes. And, and when we have them, I want to encourage you that, that they are the people, they are the instruments that the Lord will use. They're not the only instruments, but the Lord will use them. And we need more of them in our culture. And so if you're a Boaz, awesome. If you're not, work towards being like Boaz. Boaz is a man who is completely turned towards God. Or a woman who is completely turned towards God. Be like Boaz. If you're new here, if you're, you're more of a Ruth, she was a foreigner who came in because she's like, I, I love my mother-in-law. And she joined into this culture and learned about it and joined the people and joined their God. If you're new here, I want to encourage you to start by being faithful and being lovingly loyal. You may, right now in the spot where you're at, you may be like, a lot of this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I, I wonder as I read through this if Ruth was thinking, why am I out here in the field? Why am I doing these things? This is a weird culture. But, but I, I would encourage you to jump in more and more, ask questions, become more and more involved in our community. Because the Lord will use you in that. And, and I, I promise you that you will be left full because Ruth is blessed at the end of the story with a son, with a husband. She, she is put in a great place because of her faithfulness. And finally, if you're a Naomi... If you came in here today, if you got drug in, if you're, if you're empty, if you're like, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not too happy about it. I guess that's where I'm at. If you're frustrated with the Lord, if you're feeling far from him, if you're feeling like, man, I need to, I need to recover, I need to fill up so I can go back to him. And when I go back to him, I won't disappoint him. If, if you're in a position where you feel, feel far from the Lord and you feel empty, I'd encourage you that, that the story of Ruth is primarily a story of a merciful and lovingly loyal God. And he put this story in the Bible to reveal to us that no matter who you are and how far you may be away, if you will turn to him, he will be faithful to you. He will leave you full. Ruth doesn't, or Naomi doesn't end this story with abundant wealth, but she does end this story with what she desired, which was a redemption and a family. She, she begins the story empty. She ends the story full the Lord uses Boaz and Ruth to do that. And so if you're a Naomi today, I just want to encourage you, turn back to the Lord. Turn more and more to the Lord. If you're feeling like you're struggling, just turn back to him because he won't turn you away. It is, it is hard for me to imagine that anyone here could be worse off than a widow, a Moabite, or who is among the Moabites for 10 years and who's elderly. I, I don't think there's anything worse in Israel at that time that, that would still be considered a part of the assembly of Israel. And so if no matter where you're at, the Lord is ready to bring you back in. So turn to him. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your loving loyalty. We thank you for the promise that if we turn to you, that you will not turn us away because of your mercy. We thank you that for those of us who are faithfully turning towards you now, you will use us in mighty ways. I, I thank you that we have so many people at our church who are like Boaz. And I pray we would foster and grow more and more, that we would disciple more and more men and women like Boaz. 
I pray for those who are here that haven't been here very often or who may feel like a foreigner here, who may not feel like they're a part of this family to join. We, we, we thank you that Ruth gives an example of how you treat the foreigner in your midst and how you want to love them and how you will use those who love you to love on them as well. And I pray for anyone here who's empty, who, who feels far from the Lord. I pray that you would just speak into their hearts and just show them that truth to return to you. You are a redeemer. You are a restorer. You are a nourisher of life. You are a good God who is merciful and lovingly loyal. And I pray that we would all take that to heart and that we would follow after you and turn and return to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.